My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people who are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I'll be speaking with Elise Stewart and Keith Dunn. The fight to increase minimum wage rates to $15 an hour has been one of the most broadly resonant campaigns in recent years across many different jurisdictions in North America. A number of these have won total or significant partial victories, including in Alberta, British Columbia, and Ontario, and in many places the campaigns are ongoing. A recent addition to the locations with an active minimum wage campaign is Newfoundland. The fight for $15 in fairness, Newfoundland and Labrador is being organized under the umbrella of an existing broad coalition called the Common Front NL, which brings together many labor and community organizations. It originally formed in 2015 to fight a harsh austerity budget from the then newly elected Liberal Provincial Government. After that initial fight back, the Common Front turned to doing town hall meetings in communities across the province to engage as many people as they could on the question of what kind of province and what kind of economy they wanted. A lot of what they heard was related to good jobs, good public services, and basic fairness. From this consultation, the Common Front prioritized three main things they wanted to push for. Progressive taxation, progressive budgeting, and a $15 an hour minimum wage. After taking this decision, the first task for the group working on the minimum wage was to do some research. They found that approximately 70,000 workers in the province currently make less than $15 an hour. As is true everywhere these days, minimum wage workers in Newfoundland and Labrador mostly do not meet the stereotype of high school students working for pocket money. Most are older than 20, and most are not students. In addition, most minimum wage earners are women, and a surprising number are adults over 65. By late fall 2018, they were ready to act. Partners in the coalition developed core messaging for the campaign. They've been growing their social media presence and having organizing meetings with volunteers. And more recently, with an eye to the provincial and federal elections due to happen later this year, they've moved into a new phase with a two-pronged approach. One is an emphasis on meeting with political representatives and pushing them to sign pledges of support for a $15 an hour minimum wage. The other has involved providing online tools to make it as easy as possible for as many people as possible to tell politicians that they support a minimum wage increase. They are also building towards having a visible presence at local events, like fairs and concerts and so on, where they will have petitions signed, connect with potential supporters, and enhance the visibility of the campaign. As well, an important priority for the group is ensuring that supporters of the minimum wage campaign in more rural and remote areas of the province have what they need to be active. In contrast to the rallies and other publicly visible manifestations that will be part of the campaign in St. John's, they suspect that online mechanisms and kitchen table conversations will play a more significant role in the smaller centres. 
There has been some predictable pushback from business associations, but it has largely not been terribly vocal or public to this point. A recognition, they suspect, of the popularity that a minimum wage hike enjoys in the province. When talking with skeptics, the campaign points to evidence from other jurisdictions that, contrary to what business groups often claim, significant increases to the minimum wage largely have not resulted in much job loss. With the broad support the issue already enjoys and the leverage provided by upcoming elections, they are very hopeful for what a concerted push this year will be able to achieve. Elise Stewart is an organizer with the Canadian Federation of Students. Keith Dunn is the Campaigns and Communications Coordinator with the Newfoundland and Labrador Association of Public and Private Employees, which is the province's largest union, and both are members of the communications team for the minimum wage campaign. I speak with Stuart and Dunn about the fight for $15 in fairness, Newfoundland and Labrador. My name is Keith Dunn. I'm the Campaigns and Communications Coordinator with NAPE, which is the Newfoundland and Labrador Association of Public and Private Employees. We're the largest union in Newfoundland and Labrador, representing about 30,000 members. And I'm also a, a member of the communications team for 15 and Fairness, Newfoundland and Labrador. 15 and Fairness, Newfoundland and Labrador is a group of concerned citizens, organizations, you know, labor groups, community organizations, faith-based organizations. The idea is that that group is called Common Front, and this is a subgroup of that group that's focused almost exclusively on raising the minimum wage in Newfoundland and Labrador. I'm Elise Stewart. I work for the Canadian Federation of Students. I'm the organizer here in Newfoundland and Labrador. We are the largest student organization in the country with over 500,000 members. So I am the staff person here in the province. And I am also on the communications team of Common Front and 15 and Fairness Newfoundland and Labrador. And I act as the chairperson in the capacity of both of those organizations as well. This coalition has been around since 2015. So we're actually going into our fourth year, which is really a strong indicator of the need in this province and the appetite for this kind of rhetoric, especially progressive organizations that want to become more involved and want to work together. So I mentioned that Common Front was created in 2015 the first liberal budget that hit this province. Uh, and that's meaning the provincial liberals. We knew it was going to be a doozy. We knew that it was going to be a very austere budget. And unfortunately, we did predict the future pretty well on that one. It was a full austerity budget. In preparation for that budget dropping, a lot of concerned citizens were coming forward. We had a lot of labor groups coming forward. We had the Federation of Labor that was kind of helping facilitate all this. And that's where Common Front was born out of that circumstance. And I think that our presence only intensified once that budget actually dropped. So we were one of the main organizing forces behind the May 7th rally, which had thousands of people that marched to object to this austerity budget. So we saw a huge movement at that time of people that were wanting to demand more from their government, wanting to make sure that their children stayed in this province. They wanted to make sure that if their children were staying in this province, they were going to have schools. They were going to have enough teachers for classrooms in those schools. They're going to have enough nurses that were going to be at the hospitals. So from that huge NL Rising, you know, we got a lot of interest. That was awesome. So we moved from the NL Rising into town halls. We wanted to, again, reach out to not just the Avalon Peninsula. So when I say the Avalon Peninsula, I mean that's St. John's and Greater St. John's, 
the Avalon Peninsula is where most of our population currently is, but that doesn't mean that there aren't folks throughout this province that want to have a voice as well. So we took our conversations and we took our wanting to hear more from the public to Labrador. We took it to the West Coast. We took it to Central. We tried to hit as many places as we could to hear from people about what they wanted this economy to look like, what they wanted this province to look like, and to have a vision of how we could achieve that. So from those conversations, we moved into the research aspect of like, okay, we have these ideas. And there were some, of course, major trends of what folks wanted. They wanted youth to stay in this province. They wanted youth to have jobs so they could stay in this province. We wanted accessible healthcare. We wanted accessible post-secondary education, pharmacare, childcare. All of these ideas were coming out of these conversations. And a lot of nuances in terms of what this looks like in rural Newfoundland and Labrador, because it does look different. And we had those conversations about how that could be facilitated in rural Newfoundland and Labrador. And then from the town halls, we moved into continuing the conversation through a vision document. And that vision document came with a lot of research to present to the government about here's what we want. Here's how we can get there. Here's the research that supports it. And from that, we've focused on three main areas, one area being progressive taxation. The second area being when budgets are dropped, we want to make sure that we're at those conversations talking about how this budget could be more progressive, how the budgets are failing the people of this province. And then the third part has been 15 in fairness. That was the other main point that came out of those conversations throughout the province because Newfoundland and Labrador has one of the lowest minimum wages in the country and also has a really high cost of living. Yeah, I mean, one of the things about where this came from was that there was a number of issues around this provincial budget in 2016 that was crystallizing not only a lot of outcry, but it was also crystallizing this idea that there was a number of different groups saying the same thing or saying around the same things, but not adding to one another's voices. We were sort of treating our activism in silos. And so one of the things that brought this all together was, can we get people together, and I hate to use this sort of term, but in the same tent, and sort of say, what can we use our collective horsepower on to make a difference? And can we pool our resources? Can we pool our knowledge base? And can we pool our volunteer base to, you know, pick out ideas that we have common ground on and take those on? That's where it came from. And I think the other thing is, too, is that we had a lot of small organizations that were being very frustrated by being either shut out of government relations or just not having the organizational or people capacity to move things the way that they wanted to that could join into this bigger group and everybody benefited from that. So that's how we got where we are today. And a subgroup of us have taken on the 15 and fairness. What kinds of things did you hear as you were doing those town halls and talking to people in different parts of the province that made you say, yes, we need to have the Fight for 15 as one of our priorities? In sort of a peripheral way, different organizations before Common Front were talking about minimum wage, but we were sort of taking it on one step at a time. Like, let's get the next minimum wage thing and go from there. What we heard when we were going around the province was that I mean, in Newfoundland and Labrador, 70,000 workers are under $15 an hour right now. And that's a huge segment of the workforce. And what we came to realize very quickly and the research that we did supported that was that this is not your stereotypical in terms of the way people think of what your average minimum wage worker was. These weren't necessarily students. They weren't young people. These were retirees that were going back to minimum wage jobs to make ends meet, to supplement OAS and CPP. These were people that didn't have pensions of their own that were going back to work. These were people that through you know various life circumstances, single parents, so on and so forth, their ability to go retrain or make that move is severely hampered or limited. And being in a minimum wage job just gives them enough 
to sort of get by, but doesn't allow them to get off that wheel, right? Doesn't allow them to make that move. And so what we learned very quickly from going to these town halls and that was that there was an undercurrent of people who were being negatively affected in a generational way about minimum wage. And it was very clearly predominantly women. It was very clearly more and more people who you would consider to be in the retirement years. They kept coming up over and over again. There's many systemic factors that we need to take on, but we said, well, the biggest way that we can make an impact here now is to follow the lead of some other provinces, to be quite frank. There was more talk around minimum wage in the social media sphere, in the media. We were seeing more and more of it in the states. So there was more of a groundswell there. And we thought in Newfoundland and Labrador, we saw a major hole because the government had come part way with us. They had implemented an indexation of minimum wage so that they would connect it to inflation, which was something that we were arguing for and advocating for. The problem is that they connected that to such a low starting wage that it would never catch up. So a group said, it's time for us to stop taking minimum wage on from the peripheries. It's time for us to stop taking it on separately. And it's time to take it on as a main pillar of something that we think that we can get. It's something that we can win that will make a difference in people's lives. And so that's how it went from listening to people in the communities, engaging with people in communities, and tying all those strings together to say, at the end of the day, if we can move the needle on a minimum wage towards a living wage, that we are impacting more than 70,000 people in our province, and we're allowing those people and their families to have a better standard of living, which has ripple effects on our society as a whole, on our economy, on our social safety net. So we all came back and without even sort of having to look for it, we all knew exactly where we had to go. And in short order, 15 and Fairness was born from there. We started to do some research on where we were in relation to the rest of the country, what we thought the main stumbling blocks in terms of myths and facts would be. We got our ducks in a row and we kicked it from research into organizing and we launched in the fall and we've been building from there. Since the turn to organizing in the fall, what has the campaign been doing? From there, basically, we got everybody on side with what our core messaging would be, what our approach would be. From there, we've been growing our social media presence. We've been growing our volunteer list. We've had an organizing meeting with volunteers where we put out to our group uh, people who want to learn about how to organize that sort of thing. And now we're sort of moving into the next phase, which is sort of a two-prong approach. The first prong, which is the one that we've sent out this week, is government relations. And so what we've decided is this is an issue that is set by the provincial government, but that, as we've seen in other jurisdictions, municipalities and higher levels of government have a role to play in moving the needle on minimum wage. So we've reached out to the three levels of government to start having lobby sessions. We've put together lobby documents, but start putting pressure on decision makers, you know, face to face. We've said that it's not enough to just be out there doing press conferences and doing organizing in the streets. We've got to also try to put a face to the cause and get out there. But the other thing is, is that we're not just meeting with them and taking a picture. We're going to be getting them to sign pledges because there's a provincial and federal election uh, for sure coming this year. A municipal election is soon to follow. And so what we want to do is put pressure on these elected officials, show them the facts and figures, get them on side get them to sign the pledge and pressure them into when we get to an election to be able to say, remember when you sat down with us in March earlier this year and pledged to move the needle on minimum wage? We don't forget. And so if you get elected, we're going to hold your feet to the fire on that. 
So that's the first prong, which is the government relations. On the second prong, we created a, using an, an online tool that we have at our disposal, we created an email your MHA. And we sent that out to all of our organizations and their various email lists, basically reaching out to local MHAs to say, I live in your district, and this is something I care about, and this is something I want you to take action on. And that also goes to the premier's office and it goes to the minister responsible, Bernard Davis. We didn't want to focus on one person. We wanted it to be personal. We wanted it to say to the backbenchers and not just ministers that these are people in your communities who are negatively impacted by your position on minimum wage and we want you to change it. That allows people at home to make an action very quickly. We've also been working towards more sort of uh, guerrilla tactics, for lack of a better term. We're starting to build towards having actions at local events, local fairs, concerts, that sort of thing, where we're just sort of getting out there, getting people to sign petitions. We've got a petition that we have that's going to the House of Assembly. We're also trying to do more to educate and give tools to on-the-ground activists, grassroots activists, in terms of effective communications, in terms of organizing, and giving people the tools that they need. Not everybody feels comfortable going out and sitting at a table or engaging with people or has the tools to do that. The other thing that we're doing on top of that is we don't want this to be St. John's or Avalon Peninsula-centric. We want to make sure that this is not just a St. John's area issue. So we're reaching out to some of our activists on the ground in some of those areas in the West Coast and Central Newfoundland and Labrador, et cetera, to see if we can build from the ground up. So we've decided that no one tactic and no one approach is going to win the day for us. It has to be a fully rounded approach. It has to be research. It has to be government relations. It has to be organizing. It has to be education and it has to be media relations. And so that's where we're at. And we're a pretty lean, small group of people at this point. We've got a lot of minimum wage workers who have said to us in back channels, I love what you're doing, but I, I can't be out. I can't risk my job. I've got a child to take care of. I got two jobs now. So it's been difficult from that point of view, but we're building up and we feel like over the past number of weeks that momentum's mm-hmm. building for us. So I noticed that you've taken on the same language as the campaign in Ontario, where they did an innovative thing and called themselves not the fight for $15, but the fight for $15 and fairness. In the Ontario context, that was because they had a lot of demands, not just around the minimum wage, but around improving basic employment standards. What does the and fairness piece mean in Newfoundland and Labrador? So the Ontario movement, 16 and Fairness, has been so successful because it appeals to not just those folks that are trying to get the $15 minimum wage. It's not just getting that wage. It's like all the things that come with not having precarious work, you know, having protections, being able to take sick days, having health and benefits, having, you know, domestic violence leave and all of these other aspects that influence your work life. You shouldn't have to worry if you take a sick day that you're going to lose your job. You shouldn't have to worry about, you know, having a crown or any of this sorts of things that happen when you don't have the same robust protections as a lot of unionized folks are able to have because they've been fought for for so long. So I think that 15 in Fairness is also the avenue for a lot of folks to increase the minimum wage, but also increase the protections for every single worker. That means workers that are working at your multinational corporations. That means workers that are working at your corner store. It should cover everyone. Some of the critique that we get is like a lot of what about me? I already make $15. So what does that mean for me? And we have to come back and say, you know, it means that you're going to be a part of a more progressive and equal society. And that is a good thing. It means that we're closing this ever widening gap between those that have a lot and those that are barely making it by. So the fairness aspect, I think, has been also really important in terms of buy-in for this larger population in Newfoundland and Labrador. 
for those folks that are maybe already making $15 or $14, for them, it's okay, it's not just the wage, it's also everything that we're advocating for outside of the wage. You know, it's pay equity, it's protections, it's all of these extra things that you should have that as a progressive society that we espouse ourselves to be a lot of the time, those should already exist. We're fighting for that as well. We thought for Newfoundland and Labrador, especially it needed to be the fairness aspect and also to tie into our larger mandate as Common Front Newfoundland and Labrador. That has been from the beginning what we've talked about is having a fair society, an economy that works for all where no one is left behind. That's how we've always been guided. And that fairness has to be the pillar of this campaign because of that mandate that we've had from the beginning and making sure that if we get $15, which we really hope happens soon, we won't stop there. Now we're looking at the fairness. What are our labor standards look like? We will keep pushing that envelope to get more and more workers protected in this province and also the workers that aren't workers yet. You know, We hope to have a lot of youth in this province and we want to make sure that we're creating this environment where they can succeed and they can have jobs that aren't precarious. They can have jobs where they can stay and live in this province. If you work full-time in Newfoundland and Labrador on minimum wage, you're only making about $21,000 before taxes, and that's not enough to live on. I mean, the myth that we have to constantly come up against, which Keith mentioned about, like, oh, it's just teens. It's just teens looking for an extra job. No, it's single moms that are having to work two full-time minimum wage jobs to barely make it by. A lot of those myths need to keep being disrupted. And again, I think fairness is a great way to do that because it kind of demands for you to look at the bigger picture of fairness and what does that look like? What does an economy look like where no one is left behind? I realize you're still figuring this out, but what's your sense at least of how the organizing on the ground might end up looking different in St. John's versus in some of the more remote and rural parts of the province? I think in a lot of the more remote and rural parts of the province, it doesn't necessarily look like going to Walmart and having rallies like we are going to be having here. It looks like having those conversations around kitchen tables. Once this idea is out there and we have this big education piece and people are able to realize, okay, it can be done another way. And if it's done this other way, maybe we can actually stay in our town or we can stay in our smaller area. Because right now we have a huge out-migration problem. We also have a lot of folks moving from rural into urban because they can't afford to stay in their rural areas. And it's not because they want to leave, it's because they have to leave. So once you increase the minimum wage to $15 as a start, moving towards a living wage, folks will be able to stay in the rural areas. The education piece is going to be really big there. Having more of like the town hall round table conversations is going to be great up there. And Keith mentioned talking to activists that are on the ground in your small areas. Student unions in those areas are going to be important as well. So the College of North Atlantic has 17 campuses and they have a union with a presence on all those campuses. Talking to those folks who have been super supportive, students have been amazing with this. So kind of tapping into those resources is going to be important. There's a different vibe in rural Newfoundland and Labrador as well, because you're more likely to know the person who owns the store. So there's that personal element. This is why we wanted to do some of the social media. Mm. We know when we track some of that data that there was people from all kinds of very small communities that probably felt comfortable sending an email to their MHA, but maybe didn't feel so comfortable going out in front of the store down the road or whatever. So we've been sort of using the social media as a way to bridge that gap. It's going to be a challenge for us, there's no doubt. But I think that as this grows and as we can get more pressure on government officials, people start feeling like they can move this thing along. I think that it'll start to grow that way. But we're definitely doing what we can to reach out to our people on the ground in those areas. What kinds of responses have you been getting so far from government representatives and from business spokespeople? The business crowd is clearly very agitated and addled by what we're doing because they've sent correspondence to all the MHAs trying to refute what we're doing. We take that as a good sign. 
this is not businesses. This is mm-hmm. employer groups and yeah. business umbrella groups who are basically lobby organizations for big business by and large. If we never got that response, I'd be more worried than yeah. if we didn't. So we know that they're agitated. They don't take it on in the media so much because I think that they understand that this is publicly popular policy and taking it on in the media is exposing themselves as being self-serving. We need to combat that with our own lobby tactics. From small businesses, we've heard the range, we've heard concerns, we've engaged with those shop owners about what the impact has been in other jurisdictions. It hasn't been the doom and gloom it's been made out to be, what it could mean for economic stimulus in terms of who's actually spending money in the community, including their stores. But we've also heard from businesses who have said, I already pay $15 an hour because I can't keep anybody when I try to keep somebody here. And it's easier for me to pay somebody $15 and have some loyalty to my business and have some continuity and longevity with my workforce that I'm training up than have people going through the door every few months because they're you know, trying to just keep their heads above water at minimum wage. In terms of the general public, the feedback has been incredibly supportive. But there are people out there who sort of buy into, well, if minimum wage goes up, the price of everything is going to go up. And then we sort of say, well, the price of everything is going up anyway right now. And what we've seen in other jurisdictions is that increases in minimum wage have not led to you know, drastic or large increases in cost of living. I feel like the more people we talk to and the more we get out there about what the impact is and the more that they see in Ontario, you know, that the business community said there's going to be tens of thousands of jobs lost and there's going to be businesses shuttering. And that didn't happen. And it didn't happen in Alberta. And it didn't happen in B.C. And it didn't happen in Seattle. And it's not going to happen in New Jersey. And it's Mm -hmm. not going to happen in Colorado. And the list goes on and on. And I think that as this goes on, The doom and gloom that's being put out there by the business and employers groups is starting to be taken a little bit less seriously. If there wasn't resistance, I would think that we weren't doing it right. Right. I would think that, okay, we haven't pushed far enough. We haven't done enough because you have to have that resistance to this idea where we're asking this province to think differently. We're asking this province to think bigger. We're asking people to you know, disregard the myths that they've been told their entire lives and believe us and believe the research and look at all these things. And that's a hard ask. For some people, it's going to take time. And yes, we're not going to get everybody. But the fact that we have 87% of people polled in a very large survey supported increasing minimum wage to $15 an hour as a start, I mean, that's an amazing number that gives us a lot of hope. And the more that people come back from Ontario, the more that we have our young folks come back to this province and say, well, actually, everything's going great there. The sky didn't fall. We're going to be okay. I think that will also really add to this narrative and challenge those, unfortunately, those really strong ideas that are in this province. And our employer groups in this province, because we have a small province that is oil-based, have a lot of power with the government. They have a lot of sway. But we're going into a big year with a federal and provincial election. And we think the way that we're going to have to have these conversations is, you know, this is a big moment for you folks, you know, the current government. So this is the way to stand out. This is a way to be different. This is a way to show that you do care not just about oil companies, not just about these big business and Walmart. You care about the people that live in your constituencies. And not only do you care, we can prove that it's popular. You know, here's 70,000 people in the province that you'll be impacting and their families. And here's the polling numbers. So the decision is yours. And so we're putting the pressure on them that way. You have been listening to my interview with Elise Stewart and Keith Dunn of the Fight for $15 in Fairness, Newfoundland and Labrador. To learn more about the campaign, go to wernl.ca and click on the link for Support $15 in Fairness at the top of the page.
To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, iTunes, SoundCloud, and other platforms. I'm Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, published by Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week. <laughs>